The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Boy, as we start the podcast today, breaking news this morning. Aaron Rodgers is out for the Packers on Sunday against the Chiefs. He tested positive for COVID-19. He has not been vaccinated, and therefore it is 10 days uh, of being away from the team. The earliest he can come back is the day before the Packers play next weekend against the Seahawks. They had the huge matchup against the Chiefs at Arrowhead on Sunday. Aaron Rodgers is asymptomatic, but he has tested positive for COVID. Remember, the Packers had this breakout after playing Washington at Lambeau uh, a week ago Sunday. Um, we know that Devontae Adams missed the game against the Cardinals, and Devontae Adams, who was vaccinated, had a chance to put you know back-to-back negative tests together in a 48-hour period, even though it was a short turnaround between the Sunday and Thursday night game and play. Now, he didn't do that, so he was out from that game. They had other players out, remember. Um, uh, Lazard was out, and Joe Barry, the defensive coordinator, was out. Well, Aaron Rodgers is unvaccinated. He had made a comment during the summer um, saying that he was uh, immunized, Um, never said specifically that he had been vaccinated. But uh, if you were wondering, it's now very clear. And Ian Rappaport and Mike Garofalo from the NFL Network followed up on Tom Pelissaro's initial report that Aaron was out with the uh, news that as an unvaccinated player, um, the COVID-19 protocol for the league is he's out for 10 days. Uh, It doesn't matter what kind of tests. He's got to stay away from the team for 10 days minimum, and then he's got to test negative um, before he can come back and play in their Week 10 matchup against uh, Seattle. Uh, Big news there. That is, look, Devontae Adams missing the game last Thursday night was probably the biggest COVID miss of the year. You know, um, obviously before the season started, there was a lot of discussion about will this be an issue, you know, with players who aren't vaccinated and having to sit out 10 days. You know, personally, I know I suggested this back in August with Tommy. It didn't go over real well with Tommy, but whatever. Um, I just, with the vaccination, uh, you know, uh, being available, I think every single player should get vaccinated. I think everybody should get vaccinated. I'm a believer in your choice Uh, your body, your choice. But really, as it relates to this particular business, I don't know why they're testing. Um, Most people that go into work every day aren't being tested. Uh, And if they're vaccinated or unvaccinated, not every workplace is requiring you to be vaccinated and they're not testing. 
Um, this league, I think, would be better off if they weren't testing. Um, but they ended up with a very significantly high vaccination rate you know, well ahead of the general population. And I'm sure that uh, part of them was about, you know, sort of being at the forefront and being in a leadership position as it relates to their business and vaccination rates and um, to test and to essentially uh, penalize more severely players who were not vaccinated. Um, It was the incentive for many to get vaccinated. So I understand it from that perspective. Uh, as well. Um, But Aaron Rodgers is out. And uh, again, he has been, by the way, part of the report was that he had been following all of the unvaccinated COVID-19 protocols uh, to begin with, which meant, you know, on road trips, he had to stay away from the team. There are lots of different uh, rules for unvaccinated players um, that keep them away in some cases from the team in a lot of situations. Um, But the big game this weekend will not have Aaron Rodgers in it. Last Thursday night, it didn't have Devontae Adams in it. It didn't have Lazard in it. Uh, but it did have Aaron Rodgers in it, and it turned out to be a hell of a game that they ended up winning. I don't see them winning with Jordan Love, do you, on Sunday at Arrowhead, even though the Chiefs have been far from impressive uh, this year. Big break for the Chiefs, you know, a team that's 4-4 and and on the ropes a little bit in the AFC, a team that even though they won on Monday night didn't look very good doing it. Um, and you would think now they've got an opportunity, and they have a brutal schedule, uh, the Kansas City does. As a 4-4 four and four football team, they've got the Packers on Sunday, which now is easier. They have the Raiders, Cowboys, Broncos, Raiders, Chargers, Steelers, Bengals after that. I mean, it is murderer's row for Kansas City, but it just got easier uh, getting to face Jordan Love uh, and the Packers, and the Packers are going to find out about what they have in Jordan Love, and so will everybody else. Uh, the show today, sponsored by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. The deal that they've got going on ends at the end of this month. It's buy two, get two free with no limit. Uh, no money down, no payments, and no interest for two full years. With natural gas prices prices being where they are, your energy bills are going to be significantly higher this winter than they were last. If you've got old, drafty windows, it's time to make a change, and you don't have to pay for them for two years. I promise you Window Nation's a company that you want to work with. You mention my name. They'll give you a free estimate. They will take good care of you. You can shop the offer. They're not going to push you. They'll give you a free estimate, and they'll say, you know, uh, let us know. Um, when you make a decision, you're not going to find anybody better to work with, and you're not going to find a better deal right now. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. Kevin McClinton's going to be on the show with us today. Kevin McClinton was part of Gary Williams's first teams at Maryland, the probation years, uh, you know, the 89 season through the 92-93 uh, season. The probation years where Walt Williams stayed in College Park, um, and forever probably uh, will be remembered as the single biggest reason that Gary Williams, at least Gary will point to that, as the reason Gary was able to turn it around as quickly as he did coming off of probation. You know, Maryland in their first year off of probation had a, uh, a rough season. The second year off of probation, they were in the Sweet 16. And that started a run, obviously, that included um, two Final Fours and a national championship. Kevin McClinton played on those teams. Kevin McClinton's father 
Harold McClinton was the starting middle linebacker for the George Allen 1970s Redskins teams. God, I remember his father so well. Um, Number 53, he was a hell of a player, and he died tragically in 1980. He was helping somebody on the side of a road fix a flat tire, and he was struck and killed um, uh, in a very sad um, accident. And Kevin um, and Darren McClinton, and I know Darren, his brother, uh, very well, um, have been great guys in the community. They were great athletes. Kevin played college basketball at Maryland. Darren Darren played college basketball at James Madison for Lefty Drizel. Um, uh, and, uh, Kevin's going to join us and he's going to join us because he's a huge skins fan. So we're going to talk about the team. He's a huge wizards fan, huge Terps fan. Um, and he's got a really cool new facility training facility, uh, training facility business, excuse me, that he will tell us about as well. Um, want to start with, uh, the trade deadline yesterday. There was nothing done by Washington. Wasn't a lot done period around the league, but there were interesting reports as it related to the Washington football team. We told you about the report that I think Ben Standick had that Washington was making Landon Collins available before the trade deadline. Well, nothing happened there. I have no idea if Washington tried to do anything at the trade deadline, if they got any offers for any of their players. I don't know. Maybe we'll find out today or tomorrow. Um, and, uh, but you know, I doubt you'll hear much about what they were trying to do, what they were close to do doing. Um, uh, but there was one report that indicated that they were looking at a quarterback. Chris Trapasso from CBSSports.com reported yesterday prior to the trade deadline that Washington and Buffalo were having conversations about a trade that would send Mitch Trubisky to Washington. Nothing came of it uh, before the trade deadline, but that report was out there from a credible reporter at CBSSports.com. Chris Trapasso has been kind of a draft guy, but has also been a guy that has been a solid reporter, um, at least according to the people that I talked to about Trapasso. I'm not going to act like I really knew a lot. I know the name. It's a familiar name, but I talked to a couple people and said, no, that's a, that's a legitimate reporting um, source. And remember... Back in January and February, um, there were some rumors. I heard something about Washington's interest in Mitch Trubisky. I had heard that Scott Turner was one of maybe uh, a couple of people in the organization that had interest in Mitch Trubisky. And Washington could have signed Mitch Trubisky for a song. He signed a $2.5 million deal with like $500,000 guaranteed to be Josh Allen's backup in Buffalo. You know, he's a guy that they could have gotten because I'm sure he would have liked the opportunity to start um, versus being a backup. Um, so there may have been interest, you know, when the offseason began. And according to Trapasso, there was some interest prior to the trade deadline. So what does that tell us? Well, you know, going back to some of the conversation we had yesterday, let's just stick with the, the things that are most important. You know, Ben Standig, my, my good friend, um, uh, tweeted something out uh, earlier this morning that I'm going to read to you because it really sums it up so well. And I think it was so well said um, by Ben. He said the following. He said, Good backup quarterbacks like Taylor Heineke lose steam after more exposure. That's with a full complement of pieces around them. Washington's missing tons of starters right now. 
Of course they're having red zone issues. Remember the QBs this defense beat up on last year? Those guys wouldn't have even crossed midfield. Ben writes, this isn't said in defense of Heineke. I've never viewed him as a possible starter, unlike others. Kyle Allen should start at some point, in my opinion. I'm saying this to note that the conversation about the team right now is too small. You know, we're focusing on the offense, not scoring. There are much bigger issues. And Ben writes, this is what happens with elections. Candidates or parties without a real vision get folks focused elsewhere to distract from what's really important. Here we're doing it ourselves. Long-term quarterback plan. Coach's vision. How to see hope with these owners. Everything else is noise. It's so true. It's similar to what Tommy and I were talking about yesterday when I said, you know, we can focus in on, you know, the, uh, you know, are they getting and targeting Terry McLaurin enough? You know, what are their red zone issues about? Why isn't the defense getting more pressure? Why aren't they getting off the field on third downs? But really, the big picture issues, the, the, the things that aren't noise are, A, they've got the worst owner in professional sports, and more likely than not, things aren't going to change as long as he and his wife are running the team. Number two, they don't have a quarterback in a sport that requires that you have one or you really can't win consistently. And then number three, and I threw this out in with Tommy yesterday, they may not have the right management team or head coaching staff, a head coach or coaching staff. That's a possibility too. But the only way to ultimately mask the ownership situation is with a truly elite franchise quarterback. That has to be the focus. Ron Rivera talked about it. Remember, we read the quote from yesterday uh, from the Monday Zoom press conference with the beat. Um, He recognizes that this is, you know, a real uh, dilemma and and a real challenge and a real priority. Um, until they find that, all this other stuff is, as Ben said, it's noise. It's not going to stop us from talking about on Mondays, you know, uh, why they, you know, went for the fourth and three instead of kicking the field goal. It's not going to stop us on Fridays for talking about some keys to the to, to beating the team they're playing. But, you know, if the goal is eventually a Super Bowl and the Snyders are going to be the owners, they've got to get the quarterback. So did they try to get the quarterback yesterday? Well, they tried to get a quarterback, if you believe Trapasso's report. Mitch Trubisky is not the answer. Mitch Trubisky may be an upgrade over what they have right now, you know, in terms of who they're playing in Taylor Heineke and uh, who they have as a possibility of playing Kyle Allen. Um, but Mitch Trubisky's not the answer. I, I, I'll never forget the playoff game last year against New Orleans that Chicago was in, and they had a huge fourth and two, fourth and one, and he ran out of bounds short of the sticks when he had an opportunity to turn it upfield and get the first down. And I remember saying in that moment, I would never, ever, after watching that play, want Mitch Trubisky as my quarterback. He better be really hurt or sick, or something. 
I don't want Mitch Trubisky. There was a time where I thought Mitch Trubisky was a starter in the league, not a good one, but a starter, and he was in Chicago. They, you know, they had a really good regular season, you know, in what his second year, I guess it was, and they lost uh, in a, in a playoff game at Soldier Field against the Eagles when their kicker missed a pretty makeable field goal. You know, they they had an opportunity to advance to the divisional round with Mitch Trubisky as the starter. By the way, Mitch Trubisky ended up being taken second overall in that 2017 draft by the Bears after the Bears swapped spots with the 49ers. The 49ers had that second pick in the 2017 uh, NFL draft. Um, And that second overall choice that the 49ers held was the choice that Kyle Shanahan um, and company out in San Francisco were willing to part with to get Kirk Cousins. And Washington wouldn't do the deal because they didn't want to deal with the Shanahans. Oh, my God. I mean, I, I still, you know, the, the, the incompetence and the arrogance and the stubbornness associated with some of what went on and continues to go on is maddening. Think about that opportunity they had. Now, I don't know who they would have drafted. I don't think they would have taken Trubisky. But at the very least, if they weren't going to take a quarterback there, which they should have, you know, Mahomes and Watson ended up going 10 and 11 or 10 and 12 or 10 and 13 in that draft, whatever it was. Um, uh, But, and remember, Kansas City traded up to get Mahomes. Um, I don't know that they would have taken a Trubisky, but they could have, you know, traded a spot back and picked up picks from the Bears. I mean, the Bears in that particular moment uh, swap spots and then uh, had to part with two third rounders and a fourth rounder to move from three to two when the 49ers more likely than not weren't going to take Mitchell Trubisky anyway. So anyway, um, just a reminder about what could have been uh, with that pick. Uh, and also a reminder that, you know, Sean McVay and Kirk Cousins could be the head coach and the quarterback here in Washington or Kyle Shanahan and Kirk Cousins. Um, some of you couldn't care less about that and wouldn't want it. Uh, yeah, look at what we've had. Um, you would have had competitive teams and maybe playoff teams the last few years. Anyway, um, so uh, Mitch Trubisky isn't the answer, but Mitch Trubisky is somebody they were interested in. They probably could have gotten Mitch Trubisky for, I don't know, a fourth rounder or a conditional fourth slash fifth. I mean, he's a backup quarterback. By the way, I'd be interested to know why Buffalo would be interested in trading Mitch Trubisky for like a conditional mid-rounder when they are a legitimate Super Bowl contender. And you got to have a backup just in the event that Josh Allen gets hurt. And you need somebody. And Trubisky, I'm sure, is a fine, able backup. And maybe a low-end, you know, uh, 25 to 32 offensive team doesn't have a, a quarterback starter in this league although he didn't get that opportunity in the offseason. But it just leads to this thought. Like, the big takeaway for me is they're trying. I'm not saying that's a big try. And I'm not saying that they haven't tried hard enough. But I think it's another indication, just like the Matt Stafford trade attempt with Detroit, that they recognize they need a starting quarterback. You can listen to whatever you want to listen to, and you can think whatever you want to think. Their actions were to trade, uh, to try to trade for Matt Stafford. That is an admission of, A, we don't have a starting quarterback, or we don't have a good enough starting quarterback. And there's this opportunity out there for a top 10 guy. 
that could totally turn around the fortunes of our franchise immediately. And I think if Matt Stafford were the quarterback here, I think Washington would be four and four, worst case, maybe five and three. I don't think we would think about the defense the way we think now. I think the defense would have been put in some better positions with maybe opportunities to go after a quarterback with a lead and maybe even a two-score lead. Um, I still think the defense would have underperformed based on what our expectations were. But I think just the context of everything, of having a quarterback like Stafford and what the offense could have been. Look, they're moving the football with Taylor Heineke and a bunch of backups, as Ben pointed out. But um, this is the offseason. You know, this is the offseason where they're going to have to take some big swings. They're going to have to obviously think about the draft as a vehicle to draft you know, a quarterback. Hopefully they will love somebody or like somebody enough to take that person, either where they pick, which, you know, right now looks like, you know, an easy top 10 kind of a pick, or if they've got to trade up and be aggressive, trade up to take a Kenny Pickett, you know, to take a Malik Willis, to take a Matt Corral, whoever it is by the time we get there, and things will change on the quarterback front for sure between now and, you know, the end of April 2022. But that's their opportunity. The trade and the free agency route, well, the free agency route or the trade route is going to be the Mitch Trubisky's of the world. You know, that's what you're going to get because no one else is going to want to come here. No one else. You're not getting Russell Wilson. You're not getting Aaron Rodgers. You're not getting Derek Carr. Okay, could you get Matt Ryan potentially? I guess, but I'm sure Matt Ryan might have some say. The Deshaun Watson thing is really a complicated discussion. For me, if you tell me that he's not going to be arrested, he's not going to jail, the commissioner's not going to suspend him for two years, only one or maybe half a year, I'm all in. All in. Now, I don't want, you know, an evaluation of him to, you know, produce a report from a psychologist that says this guy's got an addiction to, you know, uh, to happy ending massage parlors because then the same thing will happen with him here. But if he's learned his lesson, if he is undergoing psychiatric treatment, if he's undergoing some sort of therapy, if he's eligible within a reasonable amount of time, I don't even care if it's a year. um, You tell me you can get Deshaun Watson, you go do it. Now Deshaun Watson has a no trade clause, so he can dictate where he goes to. But Bottom line is, really, the rest of the year, we're going to watch these games. You know, we'll see what happens. We'll see if they're competitive. We'll see if he loses the team or if he keeps them in there and keeps them fighting. You know, and, uh, you know, hopefully there's the development of, of players and you see, you know, more of, the, you know, what we've seen so far in McLaurin and John Allen. And there's a big improvement from Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Um, but really, it's about looking forward to what are they going to do at quarterback. If the Trubisky story is true, it's another action item that says they aren't you know, moving forward with what they have. Those of you who have been living in the Taylor Heineke is going to be the guy. He's the answer. No, he's not. He's not the answer. Kyle Allen's not the answer. You know, the battle between Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen is really about who they're going to keep next year as a backup, more likely than not. And I'm fine with Taylor Heineke as the backup next year. But I need I need a couple of swings. And I think we'll get them. I'd be very surprised. Now, somebody um, called into the radio show this morning 
or maybe it was a tweet that I read. I forget now. But the, the net of it was this, that Ron Rivera is a defensive head coach and quarterback isn't the priority for him that you think it should be. And then another friend of mine texted me and said, you know, uh, that call was interesting because think about Rivera's background. He played for the, the Bears of the 80s. Um, they had Jim McMahon as their quarterback. They won with defense. Um, and, uh, you know, Cam Newton was a really good quarterback. He was there at number one in his first year in, in Carolina as the head coach. Um, but, you know, I'm sure there were, there were games where the quarterbacking was just okay and they still won. Like, does Ron actually believe that you can still build a Super Bowl contender without greatness at quarterback? I think he does. I think everybody does now. I think everybody realizes if you're really talking about trying to achieve a run, a period of, you know, seven to ten years where you are in the mix, you are, you know, above 500 every year, you're going to the playoffs virtually every year, and every third or fourth year you've got a chance to win it all. If you're going to put yourself into that position, you've got to have the quarterback. As I've said many times, you can have a good season in the NFL. It's designed, the league is, for even the worst of franchises to have an occasional good season. A good season does not make you a good franchise. What makes you a good franchise is an organization that is set up culturally and from a football operation standpoint to have sustained success over a period of time. Washington's had the occasional okay season that's actually resulted in a playoff game. Pretty much always a playoff loss, but a playoff game. But they've never been a good franchise. Uh, And they may never be. We may be in this mode of just hoping that one out of every four years, everything aligns and they get what the league is designed to produce, which is you know, nine wins and a wild card berth. Um, But the way to get beyond that is to find the answer at quarterback. And I think they're trying. I think they're going to try. I think they did try. Maybe they didn't try hard enough. Maybe when Matt Stafford, uh, you know, when they they lost Stafford to the Rams, which Mike Silver wrote was a stunning development because they thought they were very much in there. You know, that was the thought in that silver story on, in early September on the team's website um, that they were, uh, you know, blown away by what the Rams did. And remember, you had, you know, Sean McVay in Cabo, and that's where Matt Stafford was. And then the Rams, the, the Lions, excuse me, had, you know, the, uh, the new GM who had been in L.A., who had been partially responsible for drafting Goff. It was just a better offer. Now, you can say, well, they missed out on that one, but why not swing big for Derek Carr? Why not swing big for Sam Darnold or Teddy Bridgewater? Or why, why did they end up with Ryan Fitzpatrick? Well, I think they did look into a lot of those things, and they thought Fitzpatrick was the best possibility for them now. And they didn't think that Dalton or Taylor or Bridgewater or Mariota or Darnold were their quarterbacks of the future. And Derek Carr wasn't accessible or, you know, uh, or we know that, you know, pretty much Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson really weren't accessible and weren't available. Watson may have been, but not to this team. So it's going to be, you know, 
a period of time here where, you know, if you're really still into this team and you're curious about what they're going to do, watch a lot of college football here over the final month and then through the bowl season. You know, watch some of these guys because this is going to be the way to go get, you know, someone that get, that might give you a chance because they have to come here if they're drafted here. Uh, anyway, uh, Trubisky to me is just another sign that indicates they recognize they have to find a quarterback. Now, if Trubisky was really the guy that they think was the quarterback of the future, I think they're wrong. But I do think somebody in that organization believes that Trubisky um, was, uh, you know, is a guy that they they could perform well with. I do think that there's somebody in the organization that feels that way. By the way, I put out a Twitter poll today. Um, the Twitter poll uh, at Kevin Sheehan, D.C. What would your reaction have been if Washington had pulled off a trade deadline deal for Mitch Trubisky yesterday? And I said, let's just say that it would have required a fourth rounder. And I gave three potential answers. Loved it, understood it, hated it. Um, understood it is 45.5%. Hated it is 44.6%. Loved it uh, just 10%. So... Um, most people would not have been happy had they traded for Mitch Trubisky, even if it had just been a fourth-round pick. I actually would have understood it, and I wouldn't have thought that they had traded for the quarterback of their future, but I would have understood that they're going to start taking some swings and find out, you know, with a player that would have had, by the way, uh, nine games left to play this year and to start for this team. And, you know, during a bye week, you know, could have gotten up to speed and potentially started against the Buccaneers. And for a fourth rounder, yeah, absolutely. That's why for with Tua, and by the way, if you've watched Tua the last couple of weeks, I think he's actually improved. Steven Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, stepped in and said no to the Deshaun Watson deal. So whatever their due diligence was, it, it, it wasn't worth the risk of whatever Houston was asking. And I think they've looked at Tua here recently and said he's getting better, which he has played better. But if Tua had actually been available for like a second or, you know, a third and a fourth, absolutely. You got to start bringing in guys and finding out, you know, and finding out what they are and what they might be for you. And you obviously have to do that in the draft. All right. Um, Chase Rouillet, by the way, on injured reserve. Fractured fibula with maybe some cartilage damage, too, uh, I think I read this morning. Joey Sly, somebody sent this to me this morning, that Joey Sly, the kicker, uh, was released by the 49ers. He kicked in Carolina for Ron Rivera. He's got a huge leg. Um, I would imagine that we're going to start hearing reports of kickers being brought into Ashburn. There's no way they can trot Chris Blewett out there against the Buccaneers, right? No way. I don't see that happening. Um, the college football rankings that were released last night, uh, Cincinnati ends up being number six in those rankings behind Ohio State, uh, behind Oregon. Uh, it went Georgia 1, Bama 2, Michigan State 3, Oregon 4, Ohio State 5, Cincinnati 6. You know, I'm surprised. I actually thought in this first run that they would give Cincinnati more respect for that win over Notre Dame um, and that they would have been in the top four, like at number four, maybe worst case number five. Um, it is really a big blow to Cincinnati and to Cincinnati fans because if Cincinnati runs the table 
uh, more likely than not, they're not going to be in the playoff. They would have to root for Georgia to run the table, which would include a, a win over Bama that would hang two losses on Bama. They've got to root for chaos in the Big Ten. You know, Michigan State, you know, after beating Michigan, um, loses to Purdue this weekend, and then Michigan beats Ohio State, and then Wisconsin upsets whoever's in the uh, Big Ten championship game. So they got to kind of root for chaos there. They got to root for Oregon to lose a game. Um, and as the guys on the ESPN broadcast pointed out last night, Cincinnati you know, has to pay attention to what's in front of them, but they also have to pay attention to what's behind them because maybe the biggest surprise of the first college football rankings is that Oklahoma as a 9-0 and team came in at number 8 behind Michigan, who was 7-1, and and only one spot ahead of Wake Forest, who's 8-0. Oklahoma, if you've been following college football, Man, they've had some weird games. They had a shootout with Tulane in the opener. They could have lost that game. Very easily could have lost to West Virginia at home in a 16-13 to game. Could have lost to Nebraska. Could have lost to Kansas State. Um, where They were down big to Texas. Uh, they were down 10-0 to one of the worst teams in college football, if not the worst team in a Power 5 conference, Kansas. And by the way, that game was 28-23 when they missed on a fourth and one except for Caleb Williams stole the ball from the running back and ended up you know, moving the chains. And so Oklahoma really is not uh, in the eye test uh, for the committee passing. Now, they'll have chances. They play Baylor, they play Iowa State, they play Oklahoma State to finish up the year. And then there will be a Big 12 championship game. So everything lies ahead of them. But they're behind Cincinnati, so they could you know, clearly uh, move well in front of them with the schedule they have. And then even teams with one loss, like Oklahoma State and Baylor, with what they have in front of them, they could move up. The only team that's not going to move up in front of them is Notre Dame if Cincinnati runs the table. Which, by the way, let me just point out, I'm not so sure they will. They play SMU, and then they'll probably play Houston in their conference championship game. I think there's a chance that they lose a game before we get there anyway. Uh, an exciting year in college football so far. Unpredictable. I mean, Georgia's really good, but they're not great on offense. Um, Bama lost uh, to Texas A&M in a weird game, but, God, they look good. They certainly passed the eye test. So does Ohio State. I don't think Michigan State passes the eye test, but I think they're well-coached and they're explosive offensively. I think Michigan really looked good Saturday, and if they had held on um, and won that game, Michigan would have been where Michigan State is at number three, maybe even number two uh, in the poll. Uh, but it's uh, it's an exciting year in college football. A lot of big games upcoming um, over uh, the last uh, five, six weeks of this season. Uh, the World Series last night, wow. Um, how about the home run by Soler in the third inning? Uh, it's over. Uh, the Braves win it 7 nothing, taking the series four games to two. They got a great pitching performance from Max Fried last night. Six innings, four hits, no earned runs. Best start of the postseason or of the World Series uh, for either team uh, in the game. And Soler's home run. Uh, the three-run jack in the third traveled 446 feet. He hit it out of the park. 
Um, and then Freddie Freeman, good for him. He's been with the organization since 2007. To see him, you know, not only double in a run in the fifth, but to homer uh, in the seventh, uh, it was exciting to see that guy win. I don't personally feel like, uh, you know, I didn't want Atlanta to win the World Series because they're in our division. I don't feel like the Nats have a rivalry. Like, there's nothing with Philly or Atlanta or the Mets that really makes me root, you know, hard against them. Um, so I didn't have those kinds of feelings. Maybe some of you did. I was rooting for Dusty, um, and uh, he didn't get it done again. <laughs> they didn't have a chance in that game uh, last night. All right, uh, up next... Kevin McClinton will be our guest. Uh, We'll talk Washington football. We'll talk Wizards, who play tonight, by the way, against Toronto. We'll talk Terps hoops. We'll talk about his father. Uh, And then, after Kevin, uh, we will, as we've been doing on Wednesdays, go back 30 years ago and talk about what the 1991 Washington football team was doing uh, this week 30 years ago, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. All right, just a reminder, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, subscribe. It doesn't cost you a thing. I do know that many of you who are listening listen but haven't subscribed. Just know it doesn't cost you anything, and it really does help us, um, if you don't mind. Rate us and review us wherever you can, especially on 
Apple Podcasts. So I'm welcoming on to the podcast um, someone that I know much more about him than I think he knows about me. Um, but I got to know his brother uh, in recent years pretty well. Um, and I've gotten to know Kevin a little bit. But Kevin McClinton was a four-year standout at the University of Maryland on Gary Williams's first teams back in the late 80s and early 90s. Unfortunately for him, the probation years, uh, the Walt Williams years, Kevin was the starting point guard on those teams for four years. And uh, Kevin's father, of course, for those of you my age or older, was Harold McClinton, um, the middle linebacker of the George Allen Washington Redskins back in the 1970s and um, very tragically and sadly lost his life um, in a traffic uh, incident when he was helping somebody on the side of a highway uh, and was struck and killed um, when he was just 33 years old. And and uh, Kevin joins us now. And, and I, I want to talk to you about a number of things, including our Washington Wizards that you follow very uh, closely, our Washington football team, which you follow very closely. <laughs> and also um, we'll talk some Terps as well. But tell us what you're doing with your training facility over in, Springs, in Springfield. Well, I'm over at All Sport Training Center. Uh, it's a youth training facility. It's in Springfield. And really what we do is we provide a resource for, for kids ages 8 to 18 um, that are interested in, you know, just staying fit, staying healthy, um, you know, and that might be interested in improving their skills, whether or not it's basketball, baseball, football, soccer, uh, you name it. What we do is we put a program together with our high-performance trainers um, geared towards strength conditioning as well as speed and agility. Um, you know, so, you know, it's just something for kids to be able to do if they're looking to, you know, just improve their skills, if they're looking to crack the starting lineup, if they're looking to take their game to another level. We, uh, we put a program for them uh, based on that. So especially coming off COVID, you know, a lot of kids last year weren't really active, you know, so for us to be able to provide a resource and an opportunity for kids to be able to get back into it and to improve their skills, um, you know, that's a big part of, uh, of what we do. So, um, you know, I'm excited about it. You know, we, um, it's a 12,000 square foot facility. Uh, we have some 5,000 uh, square feet of open space. We have three batting cages for baseball. We have a weight room and then we have half a basketball court. So there's a lot of things that we can do. Um, but for the most part, it's really providing kids an opportunity to work on their skills and to stay fit and healthy. So what kind of trainer are you? Do you take after your, your basketball coach, Gary Williams? Are you demanding <laughs> or are you much more laid back? <laughs> um, I think a little bit of both. You know, I, I, the main thing is to try to get the kids to really believe in themselves and to work and to, uh, to focus on what they're doing, but then also to be able to have the patience to, uh, to allow them to gradually, um, you know, come out of their comfort zone. And I think that's important uh, for them to be able to, uh, to see improvement and to see results. So I'm probably a little bit of both, probably not quite at, uh, at coach's intensity, but, you know, I think I do okay. Uh, tell everybody, Kev, uh, how people find out about it. Uh, you can go over right on – you can go to allsporttrainingcenter.com. Uh, that's our website. Um, and you can take a look at it. It just gives you a brief rundown of our program. Uh, right now what we're doing is we have unlimited training sessions, so you can come in. Uh, our training program is any time between 4 and 8, uh, 4 o'clock to 8 o'clock, Monday through Friday, and then on Saturdays from 9 to 1. 
Um, you can come in for an hour and you get your, your speed and agility and you do your strength conditioning. So you can come in and, um, and just take part. I mean, it's only $99 a month for unlimited training sessions. So, uh, we're running that promotion until the middle of November. Uh, so it's a good opportunity for kids to come in at a good price and get some top notch training. But you can just go to allsportrainingcenter.com and, uh, and sign up or, um, you know, if you're interested, you can always reach me at, uh, kmac2211 at gmail. And uh, I'll give you more information about it. All right. You can also call them at 703-942-8786. 703-942-8786. You know, um, as I'm looking through your website right now, this I don't think there's a market for this, so don't don't think that I'm I'm nuts. But you know, off of this pandemic, a lot of people, you know, a lot of fathers like me who have always stayed fairly fit. You know, I've never been in great shape, but, you know, even as, um, you know, an adult for, you know, 25, 30 years, basketball was always my passion. So I would play two to three days a week. And as you know, for staying in shape and in terms of a cardio workout, there's nothing like basketball. I mean, for, and for people who have played sports, competitive sports, it's so much more fun and fulfilling to be out there playing basketball or if you're a tennis player um, or a racquetball player uh, than it is to be on a Peloton bike. You know, there's just right. – there's nothing that replaces um, the competitive part of it. And, by the way, the part part of it that's fun. And I think off of this pandemic, I can tell you that personally – I am not, I'm in the worst, like I'm not in, in, in great shape and probably as poor a shape as I've been in. I gained weight during this pandemic, not like a significant amount, but you know, I've always like thought, God, you know, I'd love to get back. I I have a Peloton bike and a lot of people out there do various things, but I wonder if there's a market, probably not a big one for adults to work um, and train, you know, when it comes to like ba- basketball training, like if you can't find a pickup game anymore because you're in the midst of a pandemic and a lot of people and a lot of those games went away. My I had a weekly game for, you know, 12 years where it was, you know, at least weekly, if not twice a week with the same group of like 15 to 20 guys, you know, 12 would show up uh, an hour and a half run. And then, you know, we'd go out and drink beer and eat pizza afterwards and, right. and solve right. all the world's problems but a lot of those opportunities aren't the same anymore um right. it would be you know i remember when your brother and kevin's brother darren mcclinton who played at james madison for lefty drizel and had a long um international professional career you know like when he would have his gym open wherever he was if if one of my sons was there i i it was just fun to, to watch the workouts and then just to shoot around on the side to get a little bit of a workout in so do you right. do you ever think about or have you catered to adults well it's funny you say that because what i'm in the process of doing right now in our facility is putting together a 3 on 3 league now the court we have at our facility is half court but it's more than uh, sufficient to be able to put together a three-on-three league. And I think now what we're seeing is basketball, especially with the success of, um, you know, Ice, Ice Cube's uh, yeah. three-on-three league, I think what we've seen is a lot of people are gravitating to that. You know, you've got, it's an Olympic sport, for God's sake. Yeah. So, you know, it's um, I, lo- I love three-on-three basketball simply because it really – yeah. It, it shows how the game is supposed to be played. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of moving. There's a lot of screening. Um, you know, so it's, it, 
to me, I think it's more conducive to, uh, you know, guys my age and, and, you know, being able to play and get a good workout in. So I'm putting that together as we speak right now. Um, but there is, there is a market for that. There are, there is a market for, you know, adults like myself and yourself to be able to come and get a workout in. And I think people are a little hesitant right now coming off this pandemic. So they don't really want to be around a lot of people, I guess, so to speak. Um, you know, as it used to be where, you know, you just go and just play, you just play pick up and, you know, I got next and, you know, you keep going. But, um, I think we're gradually starting to get back into it. Health clubs are starting to pick back up in regards to their members and clients and things of that nature. So hopefully it'll con- continue to ascend to the point where we able, we're able to get back into, uh, being able to play pickup like we used to. But yeah, we're putting together programs for adults uh, uh, as we speak. Yeah, I mean, think about it. Like, um, you know, pickup basketball, the sweating, the contact, the, you yeah. know, um, all the shit that's coming out of people's noses and mouths yeah. And, yeah. and the right. antibodies that you probably built up in, in doing that, you know, over time. But you said something that is so true. Like, um, so, you know, as I got a little bit older, I much preferred, well, I've always per, uh, preferred like three on three because it's real basketball, right? You know, you don't have right. to be in the, you don't have to be the guy that's the best athlete or in the best shape, but you've got to be able to play basketball where it shows up. And so in recent years, um, like we had a pickup game on a high school court and we also had a pickup game on an elementary school court. And I can I can guarantee you the one I much preferred was the elementary school court, you know, because that no high court. school court that is legitimately 90 feet, you know, you'd have guys <laughs> in the game that are in phenomenal shape, may not be great basketball players, but were in phenomenal right. shape that would get results that you wouldn't necessarily see them get on a condensed floor. Um, right. but, but anyway, uh, enough about me and enough about you and your business. I wish you the best of luck. And I think people you, um, should absolutely take advantage of it. Let's talk uh, about some of our teams. First of all, where are you right now? I mean, you grew up in the area, your father played for the team. You grew up in silver spring. You went to Springbrook. You were always, you know, a Redskins fan. Um, where are you right now in terms of your passion level for the team? Boy, I tell you, it's. I never thought it would get to this point, Kev, because I've, I mean, I've been behind them for, for years, ever since I can remember. And you know, when people talk bad about them, or, or you know, there was always talk about them being, you know, just dysfunctional. I always took up for them, and I always said, yeah, but you know, this is what's going. On. I always try to look at the brighter picture, or you know, the silver lining. But right now, I just don't know. I don't know what's going on, you know, I just see a lot of things that other organizations don't have to deal with. You know, we can't just sit and watch a game on Sunday and just be content with watching our team. There's always something coming out on Monday or during the week that has us talking about something else other than football. And when it gets to that point, then you start to wonder, you know, and it's gotten to that point where you're just like, you know what, I'm done, you know, and and I haven't gotten to that point yet. I don't know if I ever will, but, you know, there are definitely other options that I have on Sundays that I may prefer other than just watching and just being frustrated because you just find yourself being frustrated to the point like, why is this happening to our team? Like we had an organization that was the, you know, it was the epitome it was the top of the line back in the, in the eighties and the early nineties where, you know, we're right up there with the 49ers and some of those teams and, you know, to have such a great coach that we had in Joe Gibbs and what he did for our 
for our city and just to see it just go downhill in the matter of 30, I mean, like it's been a long time where you have generations that don't even know or remember the great Redskin teams. And when you have that and you just, you're just going, you're just listening to the national pundits talking about how bad the organization is. It just makes you feel, feel really, really frustrated. And I think that's where I am. I'm just frustrated because I think there, we can be better. I just think we have to do things better. I think it starts with our front office. And I think it, start, and it ends with the players. The players have to be better. The coaches have to be better. And uh, that's not – I mean, we don't ask for much. We just hope for more. And I think that's really what kind of where I am right now. <laughs> we don't ask for much. We just hope for more. That's well said. And I think even those that um, – I mean, you know, asking for much almost seems like um, a, a fruitless exercise. And I, I think, you know, for a lot of people, even hoping for more, um, you know, they've gone down the path of that so many times and been not just disappointed um, with the results, embarrassed by the results and embarrassed by the behavior and everything else. I think that's part of it. You know, you remember and I remember an organization that not only won, but was you know, a, um, a first-class outfit in every way, in the way, you know, their executives were, in the way their players handled themselves. I mean, we can, you know, we can nitpick some of the people and some of the players along the way, but they were always thought to be one of the smartest and classiest organizations. And I think, you know, the, the problem with this particular era of Dan Snyder is they're like the opposite of a lovable loser. Like, I think if the, if it were just the losing, you know, they would have lost a lot of fans or people would have been less interested. But, you know, the Cubs lost forever and they were lovable losers. This is the opposite of a lovable loser. It's a hateable loser in many ways because of all the stuff, like you said, like, you know, you're waiting on Monday and Tuesday. What's going to drop this week? Um, and, 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 and by the way, embarrassing was the way it used to be. Now it's just like, I think people are just numb to it. And that's the worst thing. I, I had a conversation with Jason Wright, the team president, I don't know, a couple of months ago. And, you know, he said, there's a lot of anger. And I said, no, I said, it's, it's apathy. It's worse. I said, anger right. is an emotion. You know, if you got, if people are still angry, that's good. You still have a chance of turning them around. There are too many people that are indifferent. You know, they, they're right. apathetic, and that's when you've lost them, and it takes a hell of a lot to turn them around. Now, I think the Sean Taylor thing reflected, you know, if, if anything got people pissed off that haven't really cared recently, it was the handling yeah. of the Sean Taylor thing. But, um, yeah. yeah, so where are you on the quarterback situation? Um, and I was hoping they would make a trade. I heard that there were some rumors about Mitch Trubisky. Uh, I was hoping they might do something there, especially going into a bye week. But, uh, I mean, I understand where they are. You know, I don't think they really want to put a lot of investing. They don't want to invest a lot in the quarterback position, especially with some big contracts coming up and trying to make some decisions about what they want to do uh, along that defensive line and things of that nature. So, um, you know, I think as long as, as Heineke is, you know, I like Heineke. I think he, I think he's a, he's a, he's a gamer. Uh, he makes plays that we haven't had at that position in a long time. Um, I think a lot of his mistakes and a lot of his turnovers come with trying to do a lot, trying to make up for, you know, maybe some of the position. Like right now, we've got a lot of injuries, especially on offense. And I think he's trying to make up for some things. He's trying to kind of make big plays and trying to win the game on his own. And, you know, I admire that because he has moxie and he's trying. But, you know, it's I don't have a problem. I mean, if, if Taylor Heineke is our biggest problem, 
then, you know, we're okay. I think we have a lot of other problems that we need to really worry about. But I, I like I like Heineke. Now, is he, uh, is he our, our quarterback for the future? Probably not. Uh, but I think he gives us an opportunity every time, you know, every Sunday to win games. Uh, it's just a matter of the pieces around them doing their job and, and supporting him, um, which is where I think right now we're, we're lacking. So uh, we'll see. But I'm a, I'm a Heineke fan. I like him. I think he's got a lot of moxie and a lot of courage. And uh, I think he's doing well for us. What happened to the defense this year? Uh, I think a lot of, you know, reading their own press clippings, I think, you know, we crowned them the 85 Bears before they had a chance to step into, you know, step into training camp. And I think when you have that kind of pressure and you're dealing with people asking how good you can be and, you know, you have a tendency sometimes to take things for granted. Um, I think the main thing is, you know, we moved some things around, which I didn't understand. Like, you know, Cam Curl was a tremendous strong safety last year and we moved him to free. And we bring Landon in, not to say, you know, again, you know, Landon's taking this year of criticism, but I think that when we put Landon in there, that, you know, we weakened some, weakened some positions, you know. And, you know, I, I think that was one of the things I think our, our scheme, um, you know, I like our scheme. I think I like what Jack Del Rio is doing. I just think that, you know, we need to continue to progress on it. Um, I like to see us get more pressure. I like to see us blitz a little bit more. Um, you know, especially with our corners struggling like they are. William Jackson is going from being a great man corner to all of a sudden we're asking him to play zone. Um, you know, I don't know if that's the mission. That's what he we we're paying him to do. Um, you know, so from a defensive standpoint, from a schematic standpoint, I think we have, a fi- have to find a way to, to help him get comfortable and do what he does. Um, and that's all coaching. I mean, you have to be able to put your guys in a position to succeed and if you're paying a guy $13, $14 million a year and he's been a man corner and then all of a sudden you ask him to play zone and learn different techniques, I don't know if that's the best way to go. So um, I think we're asking guys to do some things they're probably not used to doing or not comfortable doing, and it's showing up. But I think they're getting better. The last couple of games, I think I've seen, you know, we've seen improvement, but unfortunately we're 2-6. and six, And, you know, now we've got to figure out a way to get out of this hole when you got Tampa Bay coming to town. Yeah in a couple of weeks, so that's going to be tough. Can you kick field goals? I've been working. I played soccer when I was younger, so, you know, I, I you know, I'm 50 <laughs> years old. I don't know how much I don't know how much length I have in this leg, but you know, I think I can knock down a 35, 40, a 40 yarder if needed. So, did you I, I don't know the answer to this. Did you and your brother play football at Springbrook or just basketball? I played football. You, you did play yeah, football. I, I played Yeah, Darren never played. I played football. I played my senior year. Uh, and that was the only year I played, and um, I actually did pretty well. Uh, I got recruited to play at Maryland by by uh, Coach Duffner. Uh, when he was at Holy Cross, he came in to um, he came to my house and he asked me to you know he wanted me to play at Holy Cross. Uh, and then he got to Maryland and he asked me to play while I was at Maryland playing basketball. I used to come in and ask me all the time if I wanted to play football, um, you know, and that, that just wasn't anything I was going to do, but. Um, you know, I had a pretty good senior year. What, posi- um, what position you know, did you play? I played wide receiver and defensive back. Um, we won the state championship that state championship that year, beating Churchill, and I actually won MVP of the state championship. So, um, you know, if I had it to do over again, Kev, I might have you know I might have played football, but you know I only played one year, and you know I was content with that. So, um, would you, uh, get, yeah, I was, I was doing one. Gary wouldn't Gary wouldn't have let you play football, would he have? Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. There's no way. There's um, no way. You were – how much older than Sean Springs were you? 
I'm a couple years older than Sean. Okay. Uh, I'm a couple years older than Sean. Yeah, most of you, many of you who are listening know, you know, that Sean also played uh, at Springbrook. One of the real, you know, me as a MoCo guy and having grown up in Montgomery County and having gone uh, to high school in Montgomery County, Springbrook really is one of the iconic you know, Montgomery County high schools always was the, you know, the blue devils and the sports programs there, you know, in the seventies and the eighties and, and, and the nineties, um, were always, were always great. And I'm sure they've had great teams since. So, um, all right. So, uh, let's switch subjects. Are you a believer? It's only seven games. How much of a believer, Mm -hmm. I guess, is the question. Are you in the wizards? I love what they're doing. I, I, you know, West Unsell Jr. has come in and, I think he's doing a tremendous job. I love the players that they picked up. I'm a big Spencer Dinwiddie fan. Yeah, Always too. have been. Me too. I think he's just, I mean, he's smart. He's tough. Uh, he plays both ends. Um, you know, I like the leadership he brings. Uh, I'm a big Montrez Harrell fan. I've always been a Montrez I just like the, he brings an attitude to this team that I think we haven't had in a long time. Uh, he brings a toughness that I think every good team has. Um and he he knows how to play. I mean, well, you can't be a sixth man of the year and not know how to play basketball. I mean, he's a good player. He doesn't complain. You know, he does his job. He, you know, he, you know, whatever his role is, he does that. He just brings toughness. I think it takes a lot of pressure off the players that they've gotten. Even Kuzma, I think Kuzma's averaging a double double. Um, you know, it takes a lot of pressure pressure off Bradley. You know, Bradley doesn't have to go out and score thirty points a game. He can score. I think he's scoring, averaging twenty four a game right now where he can just go play basketball and he doesn't have to play as many minutes. He's got guys that, you know, that can, that can help him out. They're deep, you know, um, you know, I like, I love KCP, what he brings, you know, he comes from the Lakers. So he brings that championship mentality. Um, you know, Kuzma as well, like I've mentioned, you know, I think he just had to get, you know, he had to get away from LeBron and, and the Lakers and kind of just be him, be who he is. And I think uh, coach Unseld is allowing them to do that. But they've got a really talented team. You know, the main thing with, with the Wizards has always been their defense. Can they play defense? Because they can score. It's just a matter of whether or not they can play defense. But if they can play consistent defense with the way they score the ball, I think they have a chance to uh, to definitely be, um, you know, to be a legitimate force in the Eastern Conference. You know, I think that the NBA is one of those sports. Um, I think hockey is probably one of them as well where – the regular season and the postseason are just completely different. And sometimes I think you really don't have as a fan a true handle on a team and sometimes on players until you see them play, you know, in games that truly matter. Like, you got to win this game. It's not one of 82. It's the best of seven, and it's a 2-2, you know, game five. And I think you right. a lot gets revealed in, in that kind of context. I think college sports are different. You know, every single college football game is super important. Same with the NFL. College basketball with many fewer games. You get a better right. sense of players and teams in the regular regular season you don't necessarily have to see it you know in in a one and done NCAA tournament in fact it's probably the opposite right because sometimes you see really good players and good teams and they have one off night and they're out you know in in the tournament Um, my biggest concern about the Wizards even watching them through seven games and I hope I hope it changes I still see way too much standing around on offense and relying on 
you know, ISO or two-man ball. And I'm not suggesting that every team in the league that succeeds is running a five-man offense because they don't. But I I still see too much of that reliance on spread the floor and let's let Brad or Dinwiddie, you know, now, you know, create. And I just don't know if that holds up in a best of seven against a really good team. Yeah, I I, I 100% agree with you. I think the – I think I think the main thing is the NBA. That's how the NBA is. That's that's how you know. If you watch every team play, they play like that. Where they'll spread the court and you know they'll get a high ball screen and you know point guard will try to get downhill. You know drive, draw, kick, that type of thing. You only have so many Golden State. You know the Golden State's one team that just they move the ball, they pass the ball tremendously. And I think they heat too. So I think I think Miami did. Do. You know, a couple of years ago, yeah. I think the Spurs have always done it. I think you can still yeah. do it, and I think in many t- uh, in many cases, teams that do it well and do it a lot actually overachieve sometimes. Yeah. You know, based on their talent. But you know, this this is like the conversation that a lot of old guys um, uh, have now. It's like you're you're spreading the floor, and somebody's going to go one on one, and somebody's going to shoot a three. I have no problem with the amount yeah. of three point shooting. I just like I like when teams offensively, Kevin, make you work defensively because I think if you make teams work defensively, then it'll pay off for you on your defensive end um, because they won't be as fresh. And I think that's one of the reasons Golden State, you know, was always a very highly ranked defensive team. You know, during some some of those years is it be, it, it, you had to work so hard on the defensive yeah. end to guard them that you didn't have much, you know, much left when you got the ball back. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 You're absolutely right. I, it's, it's, it's frustrating watching sometimes because, you know, we're under the, you know, the way we were brought up, you know, you move the ball, you move the ball, you get the best shot, you know, you pass the ball inside, you kick it back out. You know, they don't do that anymore. So it's all about, skill set now where guys are just trying to take their man one-on-one trying to create the best opportunity for themselves and then sometimes when they don't they bail themselves out by passing the ball and then you got a guy who's got three seconds left on the shot clock who's shooting a contested jumper you know what i mean so that's really kind of how the game is unfortunately but you know i mean it's 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 entertaining because you get like get a chance to see a lot of guys and their skill set and 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 you know how they play but you know, I think for, you know, guys like myself and yourself, I think we prefer the passing, the passing game, moving, cutting, those type of things. It just doesn't happen, especially moving off the ball or moving, you know, it just, it just doesn't happen. All right, let's talk some college hoops because Maryland season actually opens up in six nights at home against Quinnipia, Quinnipiac um, <laughs> yeah. at home. Uh, and I know you follow this, and this is really probably, you know, uh, my the, the thing that right now in my life probably I've got the most passion for other than my family is Maryland basketball. Uh, it sucks yeah. that Aaron Wiggins didn't come back because I think he would have had a top five team um, this year and a legitimate Final Four contender. Uh, Mark went out and got all these transfers. Uh, you know what? What do you make of of the team and and how they're going to do this year in the Big Ten and beyond? I think they'll be okay. I think they've got they've got a really deep team. I love the Fats Russell transfer. I mean, yeah. I think with um, you know with the point guard situation last year, you know it was kind of you know we were struggling a little bit there. You know, Eric Ayala did a great job. He did you know he did the best he could at the point guard position, uh, but he needs to be playing off the ball. You know, and I think you know you bring a guy in like Fats Russell who uh, was really really very. Um, 
uh, productive at Rhode Island. And now you bring him in, and then you have, you know, you have guys like Ayala and Dante Scott and Akeem Hart, and then you get Wahab from Georgetown. Now all of a sudden, you have a, uh, you know, you have a legitimate team. You have a deep team. You have a big team. You know, Dante Scott doesn't have to play inside as much. Now he can kind of be right. your, your pick and pop four man. He can shoot the ball extremely well. Uh, he brings a toughness. And, but he can play more, you know, along with his, you know, what his position is. And, um, you know, and they're deep. I like, uh, you know, I like um, Smith. You know, he, last year he did a really good job of, of coming off the bench. I thought he did a really, you know, rebounding, bringing some toughness. They are going to miss Morsell, unfortunately. Uh, I love Morsell. I thought he was a really, really tough kid, played really good defense, was defensive player of the year. Uh, so I thought he did a good job. They're going to miss that, and obviously they're going to miss Wiggins. But, uh, the Big Ten is loaded this year. I mean, they've got five teams that are going to be in the top 25. Uh, Michigan's really good. Uh, Illinois is really good. Purdue's good. Ohio State, you know, those are teams that are in the top 25 along with us. So, and then you got Indiana and Michigan State knocking on the door. So it's going to be tough. It's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be one of those grinded out years. You're 54, 52 games and things like that. So, if we can just <laughs> that was funny because you know that's been sort of the complaint is you know you played for a coach that wanted to you know wanted to get to 80 85 90 and Mark right. is more of a you know micromanager of of possession by possession and and by right. the way the league is that way in many ways I mean Michigan State doesn't play that way um, but the league is a is a grinded out league. Um, which actually I think in many ways fits Mark's coaching style even more so than the ACC did. But that's another you know big picture conversation. On Morcell, right. I'm with you on Morcell, and I I think I, my sense of it is is that while there's disappointment that he's gone, there isn't fear that he's gone. Like they, you know, he was limited offensively. We understand that. My thing is he was your toughness. He was your leader. He was the defensive Big Ten player of the year. Um, it's an old league because players are, you know, got that extra year. I mean, I think I was basically got, you know, two or three guys coming back for year six. I think the average age of the Wisconsin team is going to be like 27 years old this year. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but you know, I'm really going to look, I think Wiggins made a mistake personally. I mean, he's on a roster, you know, in, in Oklahoma city, but I think he actually could have uh, really raised his profile and been a first-round pick um, next year. He got a two-way deal, and good for him. I'm glad he did. Right. It would have been really right. sad had he not gotten drafted and gotten that opportunity. But, man, am I going to miss Morsell. They they had a toughness with him, Kevin, over the last couple of years um, that uh, I think they're going to miss. Maybe there's another player that we don't know a, a, about that steps up and provides that. You know, I, I've heard different things about a couple of the guys, but um, yeah, I think they're going to miss Morsell. I, I think I, I think I believe, and it sounds like you believe they're going to miss Morsell than maybe they believe. Oh, absolutely. I think. I mean, you just have to have a kid like like Morsell on your team. You know, I mean, he doesn't ask for a lot of touches. You don't have to give him the ball as much. He's going to go get his points either off, you know, offensive rebounds. You know, he's going to run the floor offensively. So you don't really need to get him involved offensively. But defensively, I mean, he was a problem. He's strong. You know, he's quick. He's athletic. And those are the guys that you don't like to go up against um, when you're facing someone like him. So they're definitely going to miss that. I think if they had had him back, you know, Wiggins was – 
you know, that's a piece that uh, I think could have gotten them to the top five. But Morcel, I think if he comes back, I think they're top ten. You know, and and uh, you know, especially with this team, uh, I think he definitely would have made a mark. Um, you know, defensively, and then you know, as as well as in, in transition. But they're going to miss him a lot. I think people don't realize how much they're going to miss him. But like I said, they've got a good team. Um, you know, I think this is a big year for Coach. I think, uh, you know, he's got the talent. It's just a matter of now just making sure that, you know, we can get to March and, and, and be ascending and, and um, you know, looking to compete for a conference championship and then hopefully for a, uh, for a national championship. So, you know, we'll see how that works out. But I like their team. I think they got a chance to be really good. What was it like playing on Gary's first teams uh, at Maryland with Walt Williams staying and Walt Williams having some of those prolific scoring seasons in the ACC, and yet you know there was nothing you guys could do about it when you got to the end of the season? What was it? What were those years like as a player? It was tough, but I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world because it it taught us character. Um, you know, when my sophomore, my sophomore year, we weren't even on TV, right? We weren't on live TV. You know, our games came on at midnight, you know, we couldn't play in the ACC tournament. We couldn't play in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, you start to question, you know, you know, did I make the right decision? But, you know, when you're around, you know, your teammates and and a coach like, like, uh, like Gary Williams, he always made you find the silver lining and try to find out, you know, this is why we're playing. We're here. We have nothing to do with that stuff. We just go play basketball. And, you know, his toughness and his energy and his attitude really reflected our team. You know, we weren't overly talented because we lost a lot of scholarships and things of that nature. But, you know, when Walt stayed, you know, it made it okay for people to like Maryland basketball. It made it okay for people to come to Maryland. And I think his his presence and his impact went far was, was far um, far removed from our teams. It was just kids that were from the area that wanted to come and be a part of Maryland because of Walt Williams. Um, and playing with him was it was just amazing. Like I always said, I had the best seat in the in the uh, in the country watching him play every single night, especially when he went on that that streak when he had seven straight thirty point yeah. games. Nobody's done that. I mean, that's just incredible. Um, and everybody knew he was getting the ball, and they still couldn't stop him. And um, but it was it was just a great time. We had some really good, really good players, and and we were just in the ACC at that time was just a beast. It was just amazing the teams that were uh, we were competing against every night. I think my freshman through my senior year, there was an ACC team in the national championship every year. Duke three times, and then Carolina. So. Uh, that just goes to show you how powerful the ACC was back in those days. Well, you know, um, it's one of, <clears throat> as as an alum and as a fan, it's one of the regrets about the Duke-Maryland rivalry that really developed over the years is that Duke's greatest team with Leitner and Hurley and Hill and uh, Thomas Hill and Brian Davis and, you know, all those guys, Parks, all those guys, you guys played them, but they, but you weren't, you know, you weren't eligible for the postseason. The year that you talked about not being on TV, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys didn't even get to participate in the ACC tournament right, that year. Right, um, right. But you got to play, you know, debatably some of the greatest college basketball teams in the history of the sport, those Leitner, you know, Hill Hurley teams. And there's one game in particular that I remember, and I remember you had a great game, and I was – 
before I got you on the phone, I was looking to try to see if I could find the box score of this game, and I can't find it anywhere. But the game that you guys played, and I think it was you, you, it was on television, so it was the year after the, the no ACC, no television year. Um, I don't know if it was your senior year or junior year, but the game that you guys played at Cameron Indoor when Duke was number one in the country, and you had a great game, and you guys almost pulled off a massive upset, and you were—you guys were a good team that year. You—you you had beaten some people, you know. You had tested yeah. some people, but do you—you rem- you remember the game I'm talking about? Absolutely. It's um, yeah. It was. We, I don't know what we were. I think we were 25, 26 point underdogs, and we went down there, and we always played Duke tough, and um, you know nobody gave us a chance to win, but we lost by two, and Walt fouled out. I think with four minutes left in the game, yeah, and we were down ten, and we lost ninety-one eighty-nine. And yeah, I did. I had probably the best game of my career. Right. twenty-five points, eleven assists, something like that. And uh, we almost had them, and we had a chance. We had the ball. Um, you know, we had the ball with the chance to win, and we turned it over at the end. So, uh, and they ended up winning the national championship that year. So. Uh, you know, we get, and then we lost to them in the ACC tournament by and it, six. I yeah, believe. it was a close and, game yeah. in that game too. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was your so, that that was your best game. That was an over. Was it overtime or double overtime or it was overtime? No. Was it regulation? No, 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 no. we lost them in regulation. Ninety-one okay. eighty-nine. Ninety-one eighty-nine. Yeah, I knew it was high scoring. Yeah. Um, yeah. that uh, yeah, th- those teams, man, and then you know you. You were around um, for you know the first recruiting class, the first off probation, you know recruiting class that included you know Johnny Rhodes and Dwayne Simpkins and X-Ray Hip and um, the other kid. Um, God, why am I blanking? Mario Lucas. Oh, well, Mario Lucas, but there was another. There was another local kid. Mario was a, uh, from Memphis, right? Um, yeah, he was from Memphis. Yeah. There was another local kid that ended up not playing, but was was a big recruit. Anyway, I'm forgetting. But you were part of sort of the beginning of the transition too, and it wasn't a good year their their freshman uh, years. Uh, but it was the year after you graduated. It was the year after you graduated that they went to the Sweet Sixteen, right? Yeah, that was the year where Keith uh, Keith Booth and Joe Smith yeah, came in. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it was a transition. You know, we had lost Walt my senior year, and, um, you know, I think it was, to be honest with you, Kevin, I think it was one of those things where, uh, you know, the, we had a highly touted recruiting class come in, and we just didn't gel well. You know, the, the, the returning players and the, and the, the uh, freshmen coming in, not to say we weren't really good friends. We were really good friends, and we were, uh, they were great, great players. Uh, it's just on the court, we just didn't gel well, and um, and that took its toll on us. We didn't have a good year that year, but then, you know, after we left and, you know, they became sophomores, and then you have Keith and you have Joe, and, you know, those guys were able to uh, to put it together and made a really good run and, you know, beat Georgetown that year. So, um, so yeah, I mean, they, you know, Gary's done a great, Gary did a great job. I mean, he what he had to go through, I know he didn't realize how significant those those sanctions were. Um, you know, you're talking to him about it. I'm sure he'll tell you that he, you know, he didn't expect that, but he got that program through the toughest times and, you know, eventually capped, you know, capped it off with the national championship. So, I mean, I don't think there's too many coaches that could have done what Gary Williams did. Um, I mean, he, he just, just a tremendous job that he did and that, that legacy that he left for us. Yeah. You know, um, 
G- Gary can get choked up when he talks about, um, you know, you guys and some of those players. But I'm telling you, when he talks about those years, um, the admiration that he had for you and Walt and Evers and all those guys that went through with him um, those you know, those years. And yet you guys were competitive, you know, you didn't suck. Um, that, 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 you know, the big recruiting class year was probably the worst of, of, of your four years there, um, record wise. But, um, you know, I've had enough conversations with him over the years. I, I know a couple of the, the buttons that get him very emotional and talking about those teams always does it. You know, you, you've heard him say it many times, like, yeah. you know, without Walt Williams staying and without, you know, you guys playing the way you did and keeping your team competitive, it wouldn't have allowed him to recruit and it wouldn't have allowed him to turn it around. And, um, yeah. uh, you know, that's, uh, I mean, that's it, it, it's it's one of those things that I think always moves him when he talks about it. Um, last thing, and I, I wanted to ask you about this because I am old enough, and so are you, um, to remember your father um, as a player. So what do you remember about your father, Harold McClinton, who was the starting middle linebacker for the George Allen Redskins in you know in the seventies. What do you remember about those days? And because uh, you had to be really young. Yeah, I was nine uh, when my when my father passed, and um, you know I have vivid memories of some things. Uh, I remember RFK Stadium going to a couple games. I remember some of his teammates that were really good friends of my father. Brig Owens is uh, my godfather, and uh, to this day we speak. Um, you know, quite a lot, and you know, but it's. I just remember people being uh, so appreciative of my dad and speaking so uh, lovingly about him. And um, you know, I've watched some some of his tapes. You know, it's funny I say VHS tapes, right. um, but you know, I, I've, I've watched some of his games, and um, you know, but a lot of the things that I remember are what you know, just the type of person he was. You know, he would give the shirt off his back for anyone. Um, he was a community guy. Um, you know, he was, you know, he was always speaking at banquets. And, and, and you know, the night he got hit, he was actually down at, um, you know, at a jail talking to inmates. And, um, you know, and then, you know, unfortunately coming back home, um, help stopped off to help someone who was, uh, you know, who was disabled on the, on the side of the road and then got hit. Um, you know, by a drunk driver. So, um, you know, that, that story and, you know, people still to this day come up to me and tell me how much they really appreciated my dad and, and, and what he meant to the community and, um, you know, outside of just the football. He was a good football player. He played 10 years. He came from a small um, black college, uh, Southern University. Um, and so for him to be able to play 10 years, uh, he was drafted by Vince Lombardi. Um, you know, so if Brandon played 10 years at a position like middle linebacker, just showed how tough he was and how hard he played, but he kind of symbolized what that, those teams were back in the day. And, um, so that's what I remember. Um, and the, just people being so, uh, so considerate and so, uh, you know, just really appreciating who he was as a, as a football player, but more importantly, as a, as a human being and as a man. You know, I'm, I'm reading, um, so, as you're talking, I'm listening to you, but I also, um, uh, pulled up your father's Wikipedia page, and he died on Halloween night, uh, nineteen eighty. Um, 
when he was struck by uh, that drunk driver on on Interstate uh, 295. Um, it's just amazing how much time how, how time flies. And I, I, I'm curious as a father, like, was he? Did you guys feel the pressure to play sports? Did he want you to play football? You said you didn't play until your senior year. You were an athlete. Right. You were a great basketball right. player. Um, right. what, what were some of those you know, influences he had on, on your sports, et cetera? Well, there was pressure because, you know, you're Harold McClendon's son. Right. And, you know, and I know Darren felt it too where – you know, you feel like you have to, you have to perform, you have to do well. If you know people are talking, you know that's Harold McClinton's son, and you know you get to Springbrook and they know who you are, and and those type of things. So there's a little bit of pressure where you feel like you have to produce and you have to be, uh, you know, you have to be the best or what have you. But um, you know, I had a really really strong mom, and you know she always told us, you know, you can't be your dad. You just go out there and you guys do the best you can with what you have. And um, and that's what we kind of took out of that. It's just, you know, focusing on who we were, focusing on being Kevin McClinton and Darren McClinton as opposed to Harold McClinton's son. Um, you know, we just felt like we had to fulfill what we could do as opposed to trying to live up to what, you know, what our father did. But, um, you know, it was, it was, you know, it took us a while to get through that. But once we were able to do that and kind of, you know, kind of carve our own way, I think we did pretty good. And, um, you know, so, you know, those were, those were good times. Those were, uh, but those times also helped us in regards to who we are today and the men we are and, you know, raising our families and things like that. It's just little small things we took from our dad to be able to, you know, transition into, you know, being, you know, being fathers and, and, and carrying on his tradition. You know, you said that you you said that you, you've got some tapes or VHS tapes of some of his games. (laughs) I remember, one, I remember several plays, uh, or I remember your father, you know, as a, as a, as a kid watching the games. But there's one play I specifically remember, and I'm wondering if this is a play that you have seen or if if it even exists. But your father had an interception return. I think it was against the Packers at Lambeau, um, and I don't I don't know what year that would have been. It would have been sometime in the mid mid to late 70s. Um, but I just remember, you know, George Allen's teams were defensive teams. They played low-scoring games. Uh, you know, your father was this was the starting middle linebacker, which meant you know he was the coach on the field. Um, but I, I remember he, maybe he had another one. Um, but I do remember he had at least one pick six. I do remember that the game that I remember the most, and I'm sure you remember it. Um, it was 1978. And they were playing the Cowboys on Monday night, and they won nine to five. Nine to five. You remember that game? I do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mark Mosley kicked three field goals, and he had I think twelve tackles, and he stopped. There was a goal line stand where he stopped Dorsett twice, um, and Howard Cosell, and and you know, I mean, they were just they were just talking about how well he played, and you know, Don Meredith was a big, you know, he was a cowboy, right? And so, but he was in the stands, and he was, you know, he was getting upset. Why do they keep running to McClinton? Why do they keep running at McClinton? But that's awesome. I remember that game vividly. I think he had like twelve or thirteen tackles, and they ended up winning that game nine five. Um, you know, so that was the game I remember the most out of all his games. But I do remember that that Packers interception for sure. You know, the nine to five game has a, a memorable play in it, um, which Joe Theismann made. Do you remember, do you know what I'm talking about? 
Is that when he ran out of bounds? It, yeah, the on the last. When he ran through the end zone on the, on the leg was for the safety. <laughs> exactly <laughs> on the last play of the game, they're up nine to three, and to run out the yeah. clock, Theismann took the snap, ran backwards, and then put the ball up in the air and ran around the end zone and basically taunted the Cowboys and then ran out of the end zone. And that was the fuel. I mean, the rivalry was crazy then. That was the fuel because later on that year, um, on Thanksgiving Day, the Cowboys absolutely destroyed us. Smoked. Destroyed absolutely us. Smoked. And and they they <laughs> they had talked about what Theismann had done, you know, and that he they were going to pay, and uh, it was a it was a blowout. And that that game, that Monday night game that you're talking about. It was part of like I think a six and zero or seven and zero start to that season, and then they didn't make the playoffs. They, they didn't did. make the playoffs. Yeah, they, they didn't yeah. make. They didn't make the playoffs. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm sure everybody in your life uh, they're they're very proud of of you and your brother and your and and your family and your father obviously would have been as well and. You know, I know you've heard this your whole life, but for people like us, um, you know, my memories and I think a lot of people my age are my memories are incredibly fond of 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 your father and wa- and watching him play and and uh, anyway, I, I enjoyed Thank this. You. It's so good to catch up. And let me just you know mention again, allsporttrainingcenter.com. Kevin McClinton. Um, this is, you know, something he's involved in and phenomenal for kids. So go to allsporttrainingcenter.com, call him at 703-942-8786. Um, and, uh, are you, oh, by the way, are you and your brother still doing the podcast or not? No, we stopped after the pandemic, uh, when the pandemic hit, but we're, it's funny because we were talking about the other day as far as getting another podcast. So I think we're going to probably... Uh, do another podcast and just talk about a lot of the stuff that's going on in sports. You know what I mean? We could talk about this Washington football team, <laughs> the Wizards and Terps and all that stuff. So stay tuned. We'll probably put something together here in the near future. All right. This, we'll was, you know for sure. this was a pleasure for me. It's really good to catch up. Tell your brother hello, please. Will do. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Appreciate you. Kevin and his brother Darren, great guys, uh, and have done a lot with young people uh, in the community. Uh, it was good to catch up and have a conversation with Kevin, and I wish him the best with his business for sure. Uh, anyway, up next, uh, our trip down memory lane continues 30 years ago today. Washington was 8-0, and they were about to face 7-1 and Houston. We'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. This trip down memory lane back to the 1991 season today is presented by my friends at MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.com or MyBookie.ag and use my promo code, KevinDC, and they will double your first deposit. They're giving away free money, guys. Even if you already have a place where you're wagering right now, take advantage of this offer. You deposit 500 bucks, they'll put 500 additional dollars into your account to wager with. Uh, deposit a thousand, you're going to end up with two thousand dollars to wager with. As I've mentioned to you many times before, if you're taking this seriously and you're doing it right, you shouldn't have one place where you're gambling. You should have a place where you can comparison shop and get the best point spreads, get the best money lines, get the best prop bet prices, get the best pricing, get the best vig. 
uh, all together. And MyBookie is an avenue for you to do that. MyBookie.com or MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code Kevin DC. They'll double your first deposit. They're also offering referral bonuses. So if you refer somebody, you're going to get 250% in a bonus on their first deposit, and it's unlimited on how many people you can refer. Uh, these are great deals right now in this you know, arena, being able to get your first deposit doubled, being able to get 250% bonuses on referrals. Uh, this is a great opportunity if you're into this. Go to MyBookie uh, at MyBookie.ag or MyBookie.com and use my promo code KevinDC. All right, we've been doing this every Wednesday going back 30 years ago this week. And 30 years ago today, November 3rd, 1991, Washington was an 8-0 football team welcoming in to RFK for a 1 o'clock kick, the 7-1 Houston Oilers. Now, some context for this game was that Washington was coming off uh, the week before that very hyped, emotional win, comeback win, over the Giants to snap that six-game losing skid against the Giants and really solidify that they were going to be the division champs and the Giants were not. You know, the Giants were the defending champions, even though Ray Handley was coaching them for the first time and Parcells had moved on. But that was still a big um, wall for, for Washington to knock down. They hadn't beaten the Giants in three years, and they came from behind and beat them 17-13. to 13. We did uh, something on that game with Rip last week on Friday. If you missed Mark Rip, and he was on with us Friday, and we talked about that game specifically. And a week ago Wednesday, I did something on that game as well. It was one of the most hyped regular seasons in games of that era in the NFL. Washington Giants, premier rivalry in the league. It was a bigger rivalry in that moment than Washington-Dallas was. Jimmy really hadn't gotten it going yet. Uh, Jimmy would get it going in 91. They were a playoff team that year. Um, But Washington was the juggernaut. And the Giants had been the year before um, beating the San Francisco 49ers in the NFC title game and then winning in Tampa against the Bills when Scott Norwood missed that field goal. Anyway, after that big win, Uh, they came home and you know it was a letdown spot for them but the problem is they were playing a seven and one Houston Oilers team you know a seven and one Houston Oilers team that had Jack Pardee coaching it Jack Pardee who coached Washington's team uh, after George Allen left. I mean, the games that, that that Kevin and I were talking about, that specific game that he remembers, the 9-5 to Monday night game at RFK, uh, where his dad led them in tackles, um, that was Jack Pardee's first year in Washington. And they didn't make the playoffs that year. And then 1979 was, you know, one of the more devastating losses in franchise history when they lost to the Cowboys on the final game of the year. And they went from being the number one seed with home field advantage in the NFC playoffs throughout and a potential Super Bowl run to no playoffs at all. And really, when you look back on it, as devastating a defeat as that was, and it's probably for me as a DC sports fan, um, one of the most devastated uh, games I've ever uh, felt, you know, as a young person to see them go down and see the season end so abruptly when they had a 13-point lead uh, in the fourth quarter. Um, it, it changed the fortune of the franchise because if they win that game and they have some playoff success, Jack Pardee doesn't get fired the next year. First of all, Riggins comes back and plays the next year. Remember, Riggins was so devastated by the loss, he took 1980 off. 
and Jack Pardee and that team went six and ten. He got fired, and Bobby Beathard hired Joe Gibbs, and that launched the most successful run in franchise history. If Pardee, who was the coach of the Oilers 30 years ago today in RFK Stadium, if he had coached Washington to a division title in 79, if they hold on to that lead and maybe they win a playoff game or two, or maybe they go to the Super Bowl and face the Steelers. The Steelers faced the Rams that year. The Vince Ferragamo led Rams in that Super Bowl. It was the fourth of the four 1970s Super Bowls for Pittsburgh. It was played in January of 1980, but it was the 1979 season. But the um, if party you know hangs on and they hang on and win that game, uh, we probably never get Joe Gibbs. Um, anyway, uh, Pardee and the Oilers were rolling. They were seven and one when they came in and faced Washington uh, in that seven in that ninety one season. But Washington was in letdown mode. And Richard Justice, who wrote for the Washington Post and covered those Washington teams, wrote the following about that game the day after. He wrote. The Washington Redskins knew this kind of game awaited them at some point. A day of stumbles and bumbles and injuries. A day when they seemed emotionally drained and finally overcome by the odds of a 16-game season. A week after defeating the New York Giants, they ran up a laundry list of mistakes, including four turnovers and eight penalties, and were pushed to the edge before defeating the Houston Oilers in overtime, 16-13 to before 55,096 at RFK Stadium. So it was an ugly game. Um, it was a game uh, that was defensive in nature. The kicker for the Houston Oilers was a gentleman by the name of Ian Howfield. He was not a good kicker for Houston that particular year. In fact, in 1991, which was his one season uh, in the NFL, coming into the Washington game, which would be, by the way, the final game of his NFL career, um, he had missed uh, three field goals in their last three games um, and had missed uh, three extra points as well, and that's back when it was a 20-yard extra point. So Ian Halfield, the kicker for the Oilers that year, who again only played in one season and his final game of his NFL career was 30 years ago at RFK, he had a chance at the end of regulation in a 13-13 game to win it for the Oilers. This is what it sounded like with Marv Albert and Paul McGuire on the call. Four seconds remaining in regulation. Houston and Washington tied at 13. Perhaps the Houston Oilers career of Ian Halfield on the line from 33 yards away. And Missed it is no good. He just hooks this ball. Watch this. He pulls it all the way out. I mean, it's not missing by a little. He missed it by a lot. He missed it badly, and RFK, you could hear it, man, can't you? Just raucous as the game went to overtime. In overtime, Warren Moon threw an interception that Daryl Green uh, caught and picked uh, Warren Moon off. These were the Warren Moon, Lorenzo White, Ernest Givens, 
um, uh, uh, Houston Oilers teams. Um, you know, they were explosive. They were they were good teams. They were scoring a lot of points uh, that year. Um, they would go on to have an uh, an eleven and five season, win a playoff game in the wild card round, and then lose to Elway in a comeback at Mile High later on that year. But it was Lorenzo White and Alan Pinkett and Haywood Jeffries and and Ernest Givens. Well, Warren Moon threw a pick in overtime. Washington had field position, and they set it up for their kicker, Chip Lowmiller to win it, here's what that sounded like. This has been a, a, a great football game. It really has been. Everything that you want to happen in a ball game happens. If you want defense and love it, this was it. And the Redskins seeking to make it 9-0. and Here they come. Looking for 10 straight here at RFK. From 41 yards away, it is up. And there they were, uh, nine and zero on the year. And now people were really starting to talk about, you know, a potential perfect season. They had survived a, a letdown game, um, an opportunity for Houston, who was a really good team, uh, to come in and beat them. They had them really where they wanted them. Uh, Washington became just the 12th NFL team since World War II at that time to go 9-0 and to start the season, <clears throat> and um, they were drained. Gibbs said after the game, quote, these two teams are awfully close. I'm drained after last week, and now this. We overcame a lot of adversity out there, losing our two tackles and all. It was a wild day, closed quote. Um, other quotes from that uh, game, Jack Pardee, the head coach uh, who was back in RFK for the first time coaching since he had been fired, said, quote, we're very disappointed. I'm real proud of this team. We had a great performance. We showed poise and maturity. We had chances. We just didn't end up on top. I thought our kicking game had been superior all day, but it's unfortunate that the game often comes down to kicking, uh, which it did. Mark Rippon after the game Uh, had this to say. Uh, The quote from Rip was, quote, it's a win, but not a real pretty one. I'm not tickled to death about it. You could feel we weren't in sync for a lot of the day. We got out of here with a win, and you go home feeling a lot better than if you had lost it, closed quote. Well, they weren't in sync that day, but they were 9-0, and the next week, Atlanta came to town for a regular season matchup. It would be the first of two matchups with the Falcons that year. And Washington not only got in sync the next week, they had a record offensive day. Uh, that will be next week's uh, look back on the 1991 season um, when we get to it next Wednesday. All right, that's it for the day, I guess. Uh, back tomorrow with Tommy. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.